You're listening to the Scaling Culture Podcast, where we sit down with thought leaders who share their experiences building incredible workplace cultures. Our guest today is Judith Wise, Chief People and Sustainability Officer at Siemens. Judith has more than two decades of international experience in various HR fields. In her current role at Siemens, Judith focuses on driving an inclusive and empowering culture that paves the way for continuous transformation and accelerating Siemens' sustainability ambition to help solve the world's biggest challenges. Previously, she was Chief Human Resources Officer at DSM and Head of People and Organization at Mars. In this episode of Scaling Culture, Ron and Judith discuss Judith's career journey and how she joined Siemens as Chief People and Sustainability Officer at the same time when there was a CEO change. Siemens' culture transformation with 300,000 plus people in more than 200 countries and 175 year legacy. Siemens' four priorities, eight leader traits and their way to making things measurable, and sustainability, importance of language, and how to foster strong culture and maintain diversity at scale. Welcome to another episode of the Scaling Culture Podcast. I'm your host, Ron Lovett, and today, all the way from Munich, Germany, we have Judith Wise with us. Judith, welcome to the show. Hey, Ron. Nice to, nice to be here with you today. And it's nice, it's nice to have some company. I mean, it's, it's cold and rainy here. I felt a bit lonely. So it's nice to have some, some European company. This is great. I'm really excited to, uh, this is a great way to start the week, actually. There you go. I can, I can trump with, with a bit more sunshine here in Munich. Thank you. I can see in the background, I'm a little jealous. And, and so Judith, you're, you're with a big business as chief people and sustainability officer at Siemens. That's a, that's a big role. That is a big role and uh, and a very very exciting role. We're 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 175 years of technological and social innovation, and I love the fact that uh, I've got both the people and the sustainability side of things that I believe makes the world of difference to a company if played well and if you can align that with strategy. And when I joined uh, almost three years ago, it was for the challenge of transformation. And it was for the people that I got to know in the process, because both are important for me, the intellectual challenge, but also whether, you know, you tick together from a values perspective, um, when you when you go on an undertaking like this. Absolutely. Well, look, I'm, I'm excited to dig into that. But let's go back in history. We've we've done a an introduction, but I want to dig a little deeper. So Go back to behind the scenes. Show me under the hood of the vehicle here with, with Judith and your 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 success path that got you to here. And I might um I might jump in with some questions. So go back in time for for the listeners. Uh, I know you've had a, um you were with Mars at one point. Bring us right back to what got you into people, you know, enjoying this topic and you know, uh, really leaning into people and culture. Yeah, maybe I'll, I'll take you even further back because one of the, the most forming uh, or formative experiences um, in my life was, was to do a, a high school year in the States at the age of 16. Wow. So that, that probably triggered my love of um, going out and about, meeting people, uh, you know, embracing new cultures. Um, that was the reason why um, I was adamant that I needed to do something international. Um, and it, it probably, I wasn't any wiser at the age of 18, 19 than to say something international. I combined it with economics in the end, with international business. Um, and, I, um, I, and I had my formative professional years uh, in Mars, you already mentioned that, still privately owned, um, still still um, owned by the Mars family. And the Mars family always said it's uh, great brands and great people that make great business. Uh, they were very principled, uh, the five Mars principles in, in guiding culture and decision making. So I think I grew up in a business, you know, that really valued people, that really valued culture, um, and where I clearly learned that culture eats strategy for breakfast and you need to bring both things into, into sync. So that was um, where I, I spent my 19 formative years as a, as a leader, as a PO professional, um, and where I got to know a really strong culture. And I think a strong culture can serve you well or maybe not so well if you want to change strategy and if, if the context forces you to change. Um, but, um, but certainly a place where, 
the, the notion of um, people and organization being a strong core pilot um, to whoever runs the PL um, in conjunction with finance. Um, you know, that was that was the predominant notion of, of how you go about business. Um, and then I went uh, to a business in, in based out of the Netherlands, headquartered out of the Netherlands, DSM, specialist chemicals, um, where I think I, I got to know um, uh, how, how you integrate the vision, the value, and the strategy of sustainability um, in a whole new way. Mars was always very principled about how to go about things. Um, but I think what I learned in DSM was how, how these things merge and they're not just a way of how you do business, but they also become a business proposition. Um, and, uh, and, and I think those two things um, at the end of the day prepared me really well uh, for taking on this big role at Siemens. Um, and they are both things I'm very, very passionate about. How do you, how do you design systems um, so that people can do their best? And how do you make sure that this serves a purpose um, and, and the, the core, core business of what, the, of, you know, of what your enterprise is all about? And so when you say merge, can you talk more about that? Yeah, I mean, if, if you go back to this notion that everybody has heard, yeah, um, uh, culture is, is strategy for breakfast. At the end of the day, you, you know, culture is, is not self-serving. Um, culture in an ideal world is something that serves your business well. Um, and so the question is, what business are you in? Um, uh, to what extent is the, is the predominant culture that you have in your business something that, that serves what you're trying to do and also how, how the, the surrounding um, and, and the macroeconomics um, changes maybe market dynamics and the, and, the, and the strategy and the culture that has served you really well um, may no longer, yeah? question mark. So, so that is something that I've always found really fascinating um, because a strong culture um, can be a value in and of itself, but it also needs to be fit for purpose, right? Um, when when uh, your, your enterprise um, hits uh, uh, an environment that is challenging, is demanding, is changing. You know, it's interesting. I hear this, um, I'll call it debate all the time, where um, people say your values, the behaviors and the foundation of this company should never change. I, I, what do you think about that? Should culture upgrade like other things upgrade or should it, should it stay foundational? What are your thoughts based on your experience? Let me, let me um, uh, lean into an answer and then we can, we can discuss and I'd be sure. interested in your view as well. For me, something that is fundamental is, is the values by which you tick. Uh, and, and that is something that I would hate to see change. Uh, the, the fundamental convictions by which you go about doing your business, by which you go about dealing with your suppliers, serving your customers and, um, and treating, treat, treating your own people, um, that is something that is hopefully durable and, um, and meant to last. However, how you operationalize strategy um, you know, how, how agile you are in meeting new environments, in meeting new circumstances. This is where a culture needs to be able to be on its toes as well and, and shift, yeah, and shift gear. And the stronger your culture is, um, the more challenging that may become. Um, so I would say for me, it's about the fundamental values that I, I would hate to see change over time. Um, but then in the way that you operationalize, that needs to be agile. Yeah, I would agree. I think that, because um, I always say, I love to go back to the drawing board, start from scratch. And I wouldn't do that with our values. I, I, I totally agree with your point on, on building and I'll call it upgrading, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I, I think about our own values and we have done that, I'd, I'd say, you know, every six months to a year, we'll, we'll go back through our values. And, and typically the exercise for us is have, have we, have we noticed there's new behavior that we need to do more of, and then we need to screen for that new behavior and that, and it should be, <clears throat> we should update our values. And by the way, is there behaviors that we've seen from, you know, in employees that have left the business that we need to protect ourselves from. And so those are kind of the guiding uh, principles for us on should we upgrade the values as well as what has the outside world done? You know, um, 
there's been a huge shift uh, with diversity inclusion. Have we have we ingrained that ingrained that into our integrated that into our values? And so we kind of look at this triangle of internal behaviors, good or bad, and then external world behaviors um, or shifts in the world, and say, are we, you know, are we aligned with all of those things? And and have is there an opportunity to maybe update and um, and and raise our values a bit? I, and I remember not too long ago. Probably in the past year, we had, we were just going through a phase of growth where everyone was like, I'm busy, I'm busy, I'm busy. And it just hit us to say, you know what, that, that, that is very defensive language, divisive language. People don't want to, um, what you're saying is, I can't help you when you say I'm busy, by the way, that's one of the messages. And so we upgraded our, our values within our language of, of relentless improvement and, and team driven to say, busy is good. Like you should be busy. If we're building an incredible business, you you actually should be busy and to lean into that. And so, yeah, we, we, I, I, I would agree with you. I think it's not a back to the drawing board. It's, but, but it's to be thoughtful about it and upgrade as needed. Yeah. And, and when you think about it, I mean, the last, the last two or three years have taught us so many lessons about unpredictability um, about uh, you know new S curves, multiple new S curves that that markets have gone on to. Nobody had expected a war in the Ukraine. Nobody had expected, apart from Bill Gates, maybe uh, a pandemic. Um, so so there are so many lessons the last few years have taught us around um, things that no no strategic planning process would have probably produced. Um, and nevertheless, you've seen different responses from businesses in terms of agility and resilience. And I'm really pleased to say that, that Siemens fared extremely well through those two or three years. But the question is, do we understand why? Um, and, and what can we do to strengthen that going forward? Because our ability to predict everything, um, I think we've learned is so-so. Is yeah? Certain things stare us in the face because they're macro trends, they will remain. Other things will, will just happen and we will struggle to predict them um, or we can't prepare for all of them. So the question is do we understand what made us strong and and you know to your point can we do more of that yeah can we can we make that explicit and do more of that and so so bring us to starting at Siemens and your um your history with Mars and DSM what did you bring forward what were some of the the, the learnings that that you know Siemens saw and wanted to 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 embrace when you joined the company yeah, I mean, if, if, I will do a gross simplification here. If I think if, if Mars was my was my leadership training ground, my people and culture training ground, um, and the notion of of really having having business and and leadership intertwined, uh, the seats at the table, and that those two things are inseparable, then DSM uh, probably took sustainability. Um, to, a, to a totally new new level, because like I said, Mars was always very principled about how it goes about business. DSM took it to a to a whole new level in terms of we're in the business of sustainability. Now, what we do, where we where we do capital allocation, capital allocation decisions, um, innovation decisions. This is this is you know where we're guided by sustainability. So it's it's about keeping our own house in order, but it's it's also about where where we play and and where we offer. Um, and to what extent is that is that helping with the world's biggest challenges um, or um, uh, or attributing to them? And so I think those those two things in an over, overly simplified way prepared me really well. DSM was a relatively complex but but small enterprise. Mars with its what 130,000 people quite big um, because I also got that question a lot. Yeah, how do you scale from a from a DSM to to a Siemens? Well if you come from Mars um, that that actually works really well. So um, so those two things I think prepared me really well and um, and what became evident relatively quickly is that on the 1st of October 2020 it wasn't just going to to be me alone who's having her first day um, but you know uh, we would have a CEO change yeah with Ronan taking over um, you know some of my colleagues uh, on the board took on new responsibilities or were appointed to the board so the five of us um, that uh, that came together and um, and became the board of Siemens as of October 2020 had a really clear agenda around leveraging the strengths of Siemens across the business 
And I think it's that horizontal power, that you know, that that unifying power of what our technology can do for customers, um, is what we really wanted to make um, uh, uh, left, right, and center our priority. And uh, so we we therefore overemphasize the things that will that will unite us in the way that we want to make impact for our customers. The technology that that we develop, you know, that that is meant to to, to serve purpose. And then from a from a leadership perspective, empowerment and growth mindset. So there were four very clear priorities that run across Siemens, regardless of what business you're in. And we wanted to make sure that all five of us, you know, would would be uh, representing um, those four priorities, regardless, because it would have been very easy to say, "Oh, Judith, why don't you do growth mindset and empowerment?" Um, and then we'll distribute customer and technology to your colleagues. And we made a very clear decision that we would all four own all four priorities and that we would reinterpret leadership and culture through those four strategic priorities. So where did you come up with the priorities from? Was it at the board level? Was it just walk us through high level of, of where did the priorities come from? Yeah, it's always hard in hindsight to say where exactly did they originate, huh? um, because I was announced in July. Um, I've I've quickly found out that my you know what was meant to be my first day in October, we would go out to all three hundred thousand people of Siemens, um, and and have a global Webex um, in the morning and in the afternoon, um, uh, and uh, and really broadcast the new strategy and the new priorities. So um, so I quickly started to get involved in in writing the strategy, also from a from a people and organization perspective, and some of the things were were already in rough outline um, and then we 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 distilled that down to these four key uh key words and we also very quickly decided like i said that all five of us you know would unanimously stand for them and that we wouldn't distribute them out and that the power was in in all five of us living and breathing them and so what did that look like what's an example of of a shift in behavior from pre mm -hmm. to post yeah, I, I believe in I believe in artifacts um, uh, around culture shift as well. So so like I said, one of one of those um, was to decide that we would all um, live by them and and represent them. Um, and there is something that we call the, the Siemens Business Conference, where we invite roughly 500 people every year. And in the past, it would have been businesses who come up and present their business. And we decided we're not going to do this anymore. We're going to feature the priorities. And we're going to have businesses talk about customer impact. We're going to have businesses talk about um, technology with purpose. Uh, which purpose do they serve? Sustainability, obviously, being one of them. Um, we would talk about how we live by a growth mindset. So that was that was highly noticed um, that we did away with a we look through the business lens through I mean, to we look uh, we look holistically across Siemens. Another example would be on growth mindset that we did away with our classic backward-looking performance management process and instead uh, Im implemented something that we, that we call the growth talks, which is much less about managing bell curves from a, from a performance distribution perspective and is much more about forward-looking, learning-based, um, reflection-based. Um, and we, we, we coupled that with a huge investment and, and a huge push into learning and lifelong learning. Um, and so um, being a good German engineering company, I've learned very quickly KPIs work. So we also started to measure learning. Um, and, and that sent a very strong signal to the organization. So those would be examples of, um, of leading through the four priorities. Um, and maybe one last example, um, we did away with the picture of a leader, age traits that describe you know, what we expect from a leader in Siemens to be, and instead said, um, no, we'll interpret leadership and culture through the four priorities again, you know? um, because then you get the merge between strategy and, and culture and leadership. And, and what was the, um, when you did this global WebEx, what, what was the, you know, what was the temperature in the room? How was it, how was it accepted? Was, were, was there pushback? Like, walk, bring us into the room a little bit. Were people confused? Were they excited? A bit of both? 
Yeah, so so maybe maybe I should maybe this is the moment to say a little bit about who we are. Um, maybe I should maybe I should do that. Sure. So Zima today is what three hundred and eleven thousand people um, that are mainly serving um, industry customers, um, uh, smart infrastructure buildings, uh, uh, grids, um, healthcare. Or mobility, so backbone backbones of, of any economy, if you like. Um, and so we're very much a technology company, and we're very much playing um, into the backbone of, of each society and each economy um, through through the technology that that we offer. So when you say in the room, um, there was hardly anyone in the room, um, but there were a lot a lot of people out there watching. Um, yeah, I was thinking the WebEx when I'm saying in the room. I, it sounds like, and, and I was curious how many people even showed up for that. that launch oh many many so we had we had thousands of people um join us we had a huge turnout we did one in the morning and one in the in the afternoon and again here we already set a different tone so instead of instead of roland as the new ceo um delivering um uh, a big speech um and then and that that was it he started off um in the roots of um and and with the heritage of siemens we have a we have a little museum down here um, that still has items from Werner von Siemens days, yeah, 1847, uh, when the company wow. was founded. And so he wanted to bring us back to the roots of, of where we started from a technology perspective. And then he basically roamed through headquarters and found you know, myself and our CFO. Um, then we had um, we had my two other colleagues who lead the businesses, um, digital industries and smart infrastructure over video. Um, and so it was very much conversation based. It was very much the CEO going to seek out um, his his team rather than um, uh, the other way around. So also through that webinar um, or that that broadcast um, on that day, we already sent a very very different tone out to the organization in terms of how we wanted to lead and that we wanted to lead together according to those four priorities. Interesting. And and I was also curious. Do you remember what was the messaging? What was the messaging to to uh, encourage people to come to this this large transformational event? Because because I'm sure there there's probably opportunities where people get you know messages all the time to show up to different type of WebEx kind of conferences. What 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 was the special messaging that that you think allowed this to be successful? If you can recall. Well, I think part of it was just human curiosity. Yeah? Mm. There was Matthias, who was newly appointed to the board. I was completely new externally. Um, and, and I think people were just curious, you know, what, what would the messages of the new CEO and his team be? And so right. I think it was it was purely um, human curiosity to say, you know, what, what, what's going to be different with them? Yeah? That Siemens has a lot of long timers, lots of people who have long tenure with, uh, with the enterprise. And and, and I think it was just human curiosity of what, what is going to be different. And a lot of people told me that, and, and I joined in COVID as, um, you know, if you, if you go back in time, yeah, October 2020 was squarely in the midst of, uh, in the midst of COVID. Um, and a lot of people told me that just the, the picture, the invitation showed all five of us that this already signaled something different to people. So I think it was, it was that that triggered people's, curiosity to say, hmm, I wonder who they are and what they have to say. Ah, interesting. And so it sounded like it was a, a fun event, right? It was, uh, it, and, and very, um, I was envisioning when you were talking through that, but it was like a journey, you know, it was like a, um, it wasn't the typical sit at the desk and talk at you. It sounded like there was, uh, hey, come along for a bit of a ride here. Yeah, and it was very dialogue based. It was very team, and it was very dialogue based. It was not giving speeches. Interesting. And so, I'm going to make an assumption that one of these priorities was diversity, or maybe I'm wrong, because I don't know if you've mentioned the four. So the the, the four are um, uh, none, none of the four are diversity per se, but okay. um, but in terms of in terms of making that work, we know that diversity, equity, and inclusion, and a culture of belonging is going to be key. So this is um, this is one of the the big things that we work on across the enterprise. Um, so even though it's not called out as one of the four, we do call it out in our sustainability in our ESG framework that we call degree. And here, the last two E's go for equity, 
as in diversity, equity and inclusion and employability. Um, and that is, I think, a good indication as to where a lot of my work also sits on a daily basis. And luckily, not just mine, but again, something that we that we embed across uh, the organization in terms of leadership expectations. Yeah, interesting. So it sounds like it's 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 the strategy is brought into all the elements of the business. And I think that that makes perfect sense that, you know, we try to do the same thing versus a pillar of it's no, that has to live in, in, in all facets of the business today and really be ingrained. And so that, that sounds like a great, um, a great approach. And so what was some of the, what were the, some of the lessons that you learned uh, through that process? What, what was going well, what wasn't going well? What did you, when did you have to change directions? Yeah, so so one of the one of the things that I um, uh, alluded to already is KPIs work for us. Huh? Making things measurable that is something that um, that we as an organization know very well, and there is a great um, there is a great diligence around anything measurable. And so the minute that you put out a target system, that you break it down into milestones, and that you that you you know go out and inspect progress. That is something the organization responds to extremely well. And it is fair to say that as a PO, people in organization function, this was also a journey for us to become much more data driven, much more KPI driven. So, um, so our degree framework, our ESG framework now goes by 14 KPIs um, that are a target system um, and that we measure. We have put out um, as uh, as one of the diversity dimensions uh, a gender equity program because we said this is something that we can drive globally because you know that is the same in every country in every constituency um, you know uh, gen gender the last time I looked was 50 50 everywhere so we said that is something that we're going to drive globally and we've done a whole deep dive um, uh, into into gender at all levels to understand the data to understand some of our hypotheses and whether they were confirmed or not um, and we now um, work with CEOs across 16 countries, they account for a good 80% of our population. Um, and we really work with them also very data driven around, um, you know, what works and what doesn't work and how can we make progress. So that is certainly something that worked for us. Um, it takes a while to, to get those KPIs nailed down um, because people know that when we go, they're committed. So I think there's there's a quite a process um, in terms of wrestling with the KPIs. Are they the right KPIs? Are they the right level of ambition? Um, so that was a learning process for me as well. But once they're out, they're out, and then the organization goes. And is that is are those KPIs? Because I would agree. I find that I find it really challenging. What are the right KPIs for the right timing of the business? And I also find the language. You know, we we've. I think in our organization, even the term KPIs gets confusing. Just we just call it goals and targets to simplify it. I just found some people would say KPIs and they wouldn't know the term. We make the assumption that they did. I don't know if that was a, ch a challenge that you were faced with. But um, are they fluid? Or are they like this is a twelve month? We've decided collectively. Let's move. We'll, you know, bring us into some of the complexity and and how you got through the complexity to uh, to land on your fourteen. Yeah, um, maybe I'll maybe I'll go back to to the launch of degree. No? Um, uh, Siemens has has been on sustainability for for quite some time, and we've reported um, on um, many KPIs, you know, for the last fifteen plus years. Um, but degree was the first time that we gave ourselves a target system beyond um, uh, our net zero targets that have existed ever since twenty fifteen. Um, so we wanted to put something out there that really gives an umbrella, that really gives a North Star. And we decided to launch it in June 21 at the Capital Markets to also send a, song, a strong signal in terms of we, we, mean, we mean business with us. Yeah. Um, and it's fair to say that the, the, the KPIs that we've chosen, the goals and targets that we've chosen, some of them we know better than others. And we also knew that because sustainability and ESG has such strong momentum, there are, you know, there's so much movement here 
that we said we want to put a stake in the ground, but we also need to go and and revisit. Now we might have to we might have to revisit some of those targets. We might have to revisit our level of ambition, and maybe at some stage we also need to revisit what we're measuring. And I'll give you an example um, on uh, scope one and two CO two emissions. Of course, we know how that works. But we felt, um, you know, a year into this, that we really needed to become more ambitious around physical reductions. So we put another 650 million to really, to really um, uh, get into 2030 with the, the minimum of, um, of, of CO2, physical CO2 emissions still left. Um, and uh, I'll give you another example from an employability perspective um, and the notion of learning and how we want to how we want to signal that learning is important for us. We started to measure digital learning hours um, and we had invested into into learning platforms significantly. And of course, that got a huge boost over COVID. So we started out with not really knowing this KPI really well and quickly, quickly learned that we could be much more ambitious about this. So we have ever since then upped the ante on this one yeah. um, and decided, no, no, we can be actually far more ambitious. We're getting far more people into learning, into digital learning and even groups where that is maybe not so obvious, like shop floor. So, um, so we we wanted to make sure that that we also live by our own um, our own priorities from a growth mindset here to say you know growth mindset is not just about the individual it's also about the system and we've learned something so we're going to course correct we're going to increase our ambition level um, and that's fine. I find that interesting and I'm curious. When you were setting those out, did you did you have debates around? Uh oh, that sounds great, but how are we going to get the information? Is the organization ready to deliver this information from a system process technology standpoint? Talk us through that. Well, I mean, that, that is a huge challenge that any organization has these days. Huh? Um, and with um, the, the regulatory requirements and, and the reporting requirements, particularly here in Europe, that are coming with uh, the CSRD, with the EU taxonomy, um, that is vastly increasing. So we need to find ways of automating a much better the information that we're gathering we need it systems that don't really exist yet yeah um, so we know right. that for the for the next few years there's there's a little bit of a ride and a little bit of a navigation to be done until the big providers are actually ready to offer something um, so yes this is a learning this is clearly a learning journey for us um, but again, what we have learned uh, and what the world, I think, is learning, we're far beyond the big declarations of what's going to happen in 30 and 50. Um, and, and, you know, every, every um, investor now has the expectation and many other constituents and stakeholders have the expectation that you break this down to 25 and eventually also into yearly targets. And I think through the operationalization, we learn what works. And we also le learn, you know, what doesn't work yet or where we simply, you know, still still need to find out things. Um, so I'll, I'll give you an example um, uh, in the resource efficiency. The, the R in degree stands for resource efficiency. And um, and here we're, we're still learning um, on how you construct um, life cycle assessments, how you then really change um, the bill of materials of a product, how you need to adapt the process. And with the company our size and the vastness of our portfolio, this is a big undertaking. Yeah? Um, but we said, you know, we need to get started. And the fact that we don't know all the answers yet shouldn't stop us from doing the right thing. So this is clearly a journey for us, and, and rightly so. And we should be leading the way also for others, because if we can find out how this works for Siemens, we can also help our customers do that. Yeah, that's interesting. And so how would how would a frontliner, what would a frontline role be at Siemens? What would that look like? I know there's thousands of these roles, but do you, is there a frontline role? Is that someone who is implementing technology at a customer level? Um, I mean, a frontline role could be one um, in, in one of our manufacturing sites. Right. And then you might be then you might be um, uh, actually building a train, yeah, a high speed train, um, or you might be building um, an e charger. 
um, for, for electric vehicles, or um, you might be programming um, something for a microgrid um, that will allow customers to feed in more renewable energies into a decentralized system um, and, and therefore increase sustainability. Or you might be working on one of our best sellers, which is um, a PLC for, for discrete or process um, production at our customers. And then, of course, we have people out there in technical service um, who are with the customer, either implementing or maintaining something. Um, so those would be our, our frontliners. It's technical service, it's production, it's sales. So how do you, how do you move with such speed that the frontliners, you know, can lean into these KPIs, understand where the company is on or off from a scoreboard perspective. How, how do you how do you move that fast, or how do you get information to the front lines for that, that type of alignment? Yeah, we've you know we, in Siemens we often talk about the technology stack. You know, how you get from operations technology to the cloud to APIs or um, so apps. Yeah. Um, but we also talk about the learning stack very often. How do you get from an individual growth talk um, where you know, a line leader sits with, with um, uh, their associate and discuss what this particular person needs up to um, you know, strategic learning priorities? And for us, they are digitalization, leadership, and sustainability. Um, and then anything in between. Um, and so, uh, so we're pushing again, strategically, those priorities, because we want to make sure that they are understood, that we invest from an awareness, but that we also invest from a capability perspective. And digitalization and sustainability are examples of how we really deliver that and make that meaningful to the front line. So I'll give you an example again. Um, one of the things where we also presented and, and did a project with the World Economic Forum is, is how we equip um, our our frontliners with um, with technical equipments like smartwatches, you know, so that they can start getting information from machines when they when they when the line um, is is coming to a halt or when when something needs maintaining. That really gets to um, to a device really quickly. That means that that our our shop floor people can take care of something much more quickly. That they get direct access then to the engineers if they need help, um, and and so therefore that impacts empowers them, gives them more speed, helps us from a productivity perspective. Um, we've put everybody um, through a sustainability uh, base camp training. Now, so we ask everybody to invest in, in an hour to really get the lay of the land of how we talk about sustainability and how we with our portfolio contribute to sustainability. So there, there's things that we, that we bring to everybody. And from a leadership perspective, we've decided that we would, for the very first time, actually mandate certain things. So um, every, every year we have about 1,500, 2,000 new line leaders, and we are now training them on the 10 moments that matter for people um, from a people experience perspective. The 22,000 line leaders that we have in, in Siemens we say, you know, every year you need to upgrade. Um, and within a certain number of modules, you can choose which ones, um, but you have to do a certain amount. Um, and that gives us the chance to really go uh, into uh, where teams are and how teams are being led. And at the same time, push really messages and capabilities. So that I'm assuming that's through an LMS, a learning management system that they then can kind of choose their own adventure. They have to take some yep. type of learning, right, got it. And so that's interesting. So I get it from a sustainability standpoint. Talk, talk about language. I know language is important at Siemens. Um, how do you guys lean into to language, especially in today's world, to, uh, to continue to have a, um, a strong, vibrant culture? How, how, how do you use language? What have you learned over the years? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you, you know this very well. A company needs common language. That's part of what... Uh, gets uh, a sense or creates a sense of belonging. We understand each other. We speak the same language. Um, it also means that that you find each other more quickly. You know? That uh, that wh why do companies work um, on abbreviations so well? Um, because that's just that's just short code for we understand each other, and I'm going to get a message to you really quickly. Um, and so every time that you introduce something new, every Time that you introduce something that you make important, language matters. 
Um, and so we're, we're very clear around what exactly those four strategic priorities are and how we, how we distill them down to the, to the very essence and meaning by, by using certain words. We talk about the technology company that we want to be that combines the real and the digital worlds like no other. Those are, those are things that, that we believe are important as, as unifiers. And to make sure that they are not just words, I think you need to you need to make sure that there's also meaning behind that, and we need to explain what um, what that means. But from a from you know, if I look at my my own trade, um, if you like, for me it was it was very important to rename HR to PNO because I just don't believe in people being human resources or human capital um, that needs to be exploited like assets. Um, I don't think that you and I want to be greeted as uh, good morning human capital in the morning. I think we want to be treated as people. Um, and so for me, it was hugely important that we drop words like employee and that we talk about our people. Um, and hence, I wanted to rename the function of HR to people and organization because it, I think it signals and it's important to signal. And we know this from a diversity, equity and inclusion perspective as well. Um, that is hugely important that today, um, how people identify, there's words for that and that we respect those words, that we respect how people want to be called and how people want to be treated. So language matters, language matters. And sometimes we agonize over language as well and it gets very politicized. And if you look to the outside world, but it is important that we identify with how we call things and people. Um, and so that was an important one uh, for, for me to make. We just, we, we just recently uh, started go, go, going through an overhaul of our titles as well, you know, um, and high level where we landed, because I, I had probably created a bit of a mess. I try to be creative. And so uh, I don't like general titles. It sounds like we're, we're aligned with that. And I'm always trying to push the envelope, but that, that caused some challenges um, and where we landed was, you know, most titles. Uh, so we want to get rid, rid of descriptors So director manager, we just removed all those descriptors. And we said, you know, in most people, they're either growing, supporting, uh, or uh, leading, they're in one of those three categories. And then, so we went back to kind of general title and but then it but then used a, like a purpose statement about that title. So it's, you know, I'm on the repair maintenance team. And I focus on these areas. And so we would have a purpose mm -hmm. statement about the title. And that's been fun because that was the collaborative session with our group. We say, let's talk about um, not only what that should look like, but it also provided clarity um, for those around them inside and outside the business, but also an area of, of not, as, not as stringent as a KPI, but okay, if your purpose statement talks about what you do, then those are your areas of focus. There was a level of accountability in there, which I thought was interesting. Did you guys go through the same thing in, in renaming? Was that just something you did for yourself? Or did you guys also go through, we should rename titles generally? And was there a strategy around that? No, no I must admit, I have very little energy for, for business cards. Um, because then in, an, in a large organization, you get into policing you know, uh, and calibrating who calls themselves what. And, and I said, I have, I have no energy for that. Um, so right. I, I don't want to go and police job titles and and who calls themselves what on LinkedIn um, versus versus how we look at them internally. So that that I didn't want to sweat. Yeah? So that I didn't want to sweat. Um, and if, if if there were parts of the organizations who, who did, um, then um, then I think that's that's fine. But but this was this was not where my energy was. For me, it was more about what do we signal about our culture, depending on on how we how we call people. Yeah? And for as long as I treat somebody like a human resource i don't i don't see them as a person i don't see them as a human being that that for me was the the, the driving force behind this so it was less about titles it was more about you know do i do i take you for for who you are um, right. or am i just worried about um uh, you know your your productiveness as as and should i make you sweat like we do assets you know? right and so you talked a little bit, um, Judith, about, about training, but let's talk about leadership and upskilling. How did that look? Because that's 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 not just learning skills. That there's some softer skills that leaders have to understand, like self awareness, 
um, different types of social skills. Is that something that Siemens had looked at from a leader perspective? And how did you implement, you know, um, upgrading leadership skills as the environments changed? Yeah, we, we again we started we started um, you know top top down. So there was there was tone from the top from the five of us. Um, then we decided um, to do away with what we called the picture of a leader and instead reinterpret leadership and culture through the four priorities. So again, you know, when when we talked about things like empowerment, what's behind empowerment? It's about the speed of trust. It's about you know, do I do we trust each other? Um, so I truly delegate information, um, resources, and decision making power to you. But you know, in turn, can I trust that you take accountability um, for 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 the role um, that we fired you for? Yeah? So does that contract work? Um, and do you have stories in your own team? Can you make that make that your own story about what empowerment in the context of your team means. What are decisions that you can delegate down that maybe you didn't before? What are what are reversible decisions that are easily delegated? Yeah, because uh, because they are reversible. Yeah? So if tomorrow something else comes up and you need to revise, fine. Yeah? Which is very different to, to um, the, the big ones that stick. Um, you know where you probably want more consensus and want to take more time. So so we've really taken the four priorities to say. What do we mean by them? What are some of the underlying values and how are you going to make them your own? Do you have some, how do you, how do you make them yours? And do you have some stories um, that are relevant for you and your team and your place of work around them? That was one thing. The other thing that we obviously trained an entire organization on was that shift from performance management to growth talks. Hugely iconic, yeah, was, was, uh, was a huge signal um, in that regard. Um, and then, as I said, we decided for the very first time in Siemens to mandate leadership training at, um, at all levels. And so today we do that for all 22,000 line leaders that we have in Siemens, and we do it for the roughly 1,500, 2,000 um, that become first line leaders for the first time in their career. Um, every year. So again, you know, and, and of course, what you, the tone that you set through the content that you that you provide is, of course, also an expectation. So for our first line leaders, the ready program, as we call it, uh, we take the 10 moments that matter most for a, for a, for a person at work. Um, so growth talk obviously is, is one of them. Yeah? Talk to me about joining Siemens, talk to me about my career prospects, you know, um, talk to me about something um, that, that is, is about integrating life and work, work and life best. So we, we've chosen those moments um, to make sure that that really sets the tone for, for how we want to go about things. And the last thing that that's, uh, and that is super important for me, very often we think leadership is about a place in the hierarchy. Leadership is, a, is an org box that has people reporting to them. I think leadership is about where we choose to make an impact and whether we take also leadership for ourselves. And in a time where our children will have a 45, 50 year career, where the shelf life of, of knowledge is probably five, where they will have to reinvent them themselves many times over um, over their working career. It's about whether we take um, leadership for ourselves and how we invest into our resilience and uh, into our relevance from a, from a capability perspective. And this is where measuring the digital learning hours and pushing learning to people, having a learning platform that provides huge infrastructure for people and doing some strategic workforce planning so that we can translate things into skill set for job families and then for individuals was hugely important for us. So those messages needed to align and we put them behind, again, our strategic priorities from a business perspective and push that out at all levels. Well, the one thing that, that stood out to me, because I was, you know, I'm just, this is obviously huge from a change management perspective, but the one thing that stood out to me was, was, make them your own, right? And so I, that, that, that must have been very helpful in the entire process where, you know, that really moves away from, look, we're going to tell you how to do this and, and exactly what you're going to do to here's some guides, but you need to make that your own. You must have saw some really interesting things come to life with that type of um, process. Yeah, and, and you know, that, given the spectrum of, of who we are, 
Um, the starting points are obviously also very different. Uh, we employ about 40,000 people um, in IT and software. Uh, so we're, we're the largest industrial software player um, out there. And any software engineer, any software developer knows that if they don't keep their skill set fresh, they're, right. they're irrelevant. They're relevant. No? So they have a very intrinsic motivation to be in a place where they can learn and continue to learn. They want to learn from their peers. They want to learn from, from their superiors. They want to learn because they're surrounded by technology and development opportunities um, that, that really are you know, uh, leading the market. Um, then you've got people on the shop floor or elsewhere in the organization who haven't who haven't gone to school for 30 years, um, who have forgotten what it what it is to learn. Um, and, and they may also they may also think they have the answers at this point. And they may also know that they that they have the answers. And and here what helped us hugely in in, in Germany, for instance, where we still employ most of our people, um, uh, we have also partnered with our social partners. So the Works Council um, have been really helpful in building trust around. No, no, this really is important, and and taking away some of the barriers to to learning because you you want to feel safe. You don't want to feel embarrassed. You want to get some help again into what does it mean to to you know to to um, uh, get back to school if if you like. And so we've taken some people um, with um, with some qualification to really help them um, qualify. And um, and become and remain more relevant for from a, from a skill set perspective that we need going forward. So there's there's a huge mutuality in that and and a real win win for them and for us. Um, but of course, you know, you, you, your starting point is a very different one to a young software developer, as as described. Absolutely. So Judith, in in closing, what's something that you guys are working on or you're working on that we haven't discussed that you think would be interesting uh, to our listeners today? Anything that we haven't discussed today that you thought, ah, this is interesting. People may want to hear about this. Something no, I wanna, juicy. I close something with, juicy. Yeah, no, no. I want to, I want to close with um, some thoughts that you and I shared, shared earlier. At the end of the day, um, culture is something that is there, but it is something that you can also intentionally develop. And the more you are in sync with where you want to take the, the, the business um, and the culture that is needed because people want it, but it also plays, um, plays to your strength um, in the market, the more that is in congruence, the better. And the other thing is that um, I, I strongly believe that you need to set the tone from the top, but what's what's really critical is is the collective wisdom of the organization you need to you need to mobilize all of the people that you have um and and that's when the magic happens and that's when you're also moving much faster you can't orchestrate these things from the top and nor nor should you, you know? and um and in a in a company our size that's uh, that's anyway an interesting undertaking so so for me it's really about how do you mobilize people to do the right thing um and that's that's what gets me out of bed in the morning. That's what I enjoy, um, you know, to 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 create organizations um, with energy, yeah, with positive energy, and and where these things, you know, happen not by coincidence, um, but with the help of everyone. Right, everyone involved. Well, that that's okay. great, Judith. Look, thanks so much uh, for this discussion. Really interesting. Uh, you've got a, um, I. Uh, the, the role that you play with Siemens is obviously making a, a, an incredible impact. And uh, it was really interesting getting to understand some of the strategies behind that. So thanks for joining us today. Appreciate your, um, appreciate your time in the conversation. Thank you, Ron. Wonderful to be with you and to get to know you. For more information about Judith, please follow her on LinkedIn. To learn more about our books or our Scaling Culture Masterclass on how to build and sustain a resilient, high-performing team, please go to scalingculture.org. And lastly, if you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a comment and share the podcast with one of your friends or colleagues. We'll be back soon with another incredible guest.